And we trust that you will take God's word very seriously this morning. And in John chapter 5, I want us to read verses 1 through 15 as we continue through the gospel of John and the life of Jesus Christ. Let's begin in verse 1 of John chapter 5. The Bible says, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Context here is that Jesus had been in Galilee. Jesus has just healed the nobleman's son. And the Bible says in chapter 4 and verse 54, this is again the second miracle that Jesus did when he was come out of Judea into Galilee. And we covered that last week. And now we find in verse 1, after this, there was a feast of the Jews. And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem. Now there was at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. The Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, It is the Sabbath day, it is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, He that made me whole, the same said unto me, Take up thy bed, and walk. Then asked they him, What man is it that, uh, which said unto thee, Take up thy bed, and walk? And he that was healed wist not who it was, for Jesus had conveyed himself away, a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. This morning... I want us to consider this miracle in the life of Jesus, the healing of this impotent man. The Bible tells us that in Jerusalem, where Jesus went near the sheep market, there was a pool. The name of that pool was Bethesda. The name Bethesda means house of mercy. This place seems to have been the place where all of the people with infirmities had come. And for good reason, because verse 4 tells us that at a certain season, an angel would come down into the pool and trouble the water. And whoever was the first one to step into the pool was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. It's not a wonder that this place was then a congregation of sick and impotent and blind and halt people. And I, I, was, I think about this, and I want you to imagine it. 
What a sight that must have been. Can you imagine the, this area of, of Jerusalem where this pool was and all of the people that would have been there lying around it, trying to be close to the pool, and it was just a congregation. The Bible says in verse 3, in these lay a great multitude, a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, of halt, of withered, waiting for the moving of the water. Just imagine in your mind's eye what that must have looked like. And probably that would have been a place that most of us would avoid today because of the kinds of people that would have been there. The ones who are less than us. The ones who are, have problems. The, the ones who don't have anything. They're dirty and, 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 and they don't have anything. And, and it's just a congregation of this kind of people. Probably a place that many of us would avoid today. But not Jesus. He always made time for what others consider to be the outcast. Jesus always made time for them because they were people. They were a soul. And I say that this morning to simply remind us of this. We would do well to see ourselves as God sees us. We are not better than other people. When it comes to our way of thinking, when it comes to the way that we live, when it comes to normal life things, we are not better than other people. Our way of thinking isn't always the right way, and we don't do things better than other people. Now, in the context of the Word of God, in the context of the truth, this is not ours like it's my idea. This is God's. I simply want to submit to the Lord. I simply want to follow His leading. I simply want to do what He says. I want to please Him. It's not mine to take credit for. I'm not better, if that makes sense to you. We're blessed to have the truth of God. Amen? Amen. Blessed beyond measure. And God is always right. And God's way is always right. We simply need to submit and follow God's way. When it comes to normal life things, though our ideas, our way of thinking, listen, we should see ourselves as God sees us. That I am not better than the guy who's staggering down the street on South Cushman. I'm a sinner too. And only by the grace of God am I what I am. Amen? And we can be proud. We can be arrogant. We can think that my way of thinking or the way that I live uh, is different and it's better than the way other people live. Well, maybe physically that might be true, but in reality, the way that God sees me is exactly the way that God sees him. A soul for whom he died, one that he loves. And we would do well to, to stay in a place of humility. We would do well to see ourselves as God sees us. I said we might avoid a place like this, but Jesus didn't. Jesus always made time for what others would consider to be 
an outcast. And I want us this morning, that really wasn't part of the message, but just a side note and a reminder for us to not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, amen? But to think soberly and to think righteously. At the same time, I want us to focus on this man who was an impotent man, a man who was not able to get into the pool, and yet he was healed anyway because of the mercy of God, the grace of Jesus Christ. And I want us to consider this thought this morning, the healing of this impotent man, as we consider again the life of Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you take your word and, Lord, use it in our life today. And we pray for the one or two who've never been born again, who may be in this congregation here today. Lord, I cannot see into their hearts. Lord, you know what you're doing. You know what they're thinking. You know all that there is to know about every person. And I pray, Lord, that you'd use your word today in every heart. And Lord, that our response to the Lord would be submissive and sweet, that it might bring peace to the soul. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing I want you to notice with me is in verse 5, and we note this man's woeful condition. His woeful condition. The Bible says a certain man was there, speaking of that pool, which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. The Bible says this man had an infirmity 38 years. We don't know exactly what that infirmity was, but apparently it kept him from being able to move of his own accord. Because when Jesus came to him and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? His answer in verse 7 was, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another step is down before me. You can imagine he must have tried to be as close to the pool as he could be. No one knew when the, when the troubling of the waters would be. And maybe it had been a long time and the man lived, uh, you know, had to uh, exist in that condition. And maybe he's trying to drag himself on his elbows to the pool, but someone always would step down before him. 38 years this man lived in this condition. We don't know exactly what it was, but it obviously was debilitating to him. We don't know how it came about, although it might have come about because of some Sin in his life, verse 14, Jesus said, Thou art whole, made whole, sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. We don't really know any of these things. But what we do know is that he had this for a long time, and there was no human cure for his condition. By the way, just let me say this as a side note. This is not part of the message either, but now it's going to be. We can complain about our condition, our situation in physical life. We can complain a lot about the things that we don't have. We can complain a lot about how things turn out in life. But just remember this. We ought to always count our blessings because we're always blessed way more than what we focus on. And we might experience all kinds of disappointment because of things in this life. But you know what? You're not like this guy who for 38 years had this infirmity. We're blessed beyond measure. The other side of that is that I want to make this application. 
This man's condition had no human cure for it, else he would have used it a long time ago. The point is, this man was past hope, human hope, and that is why he was at this place, this pool, which was a place of mercy. And here's the application. We as mortals are also in a woeful condition. Our woeful condition spiritually is that we are dead in sin. Our woeful condition spiritually is that we are beyond help, just like this man was physically. And and, and our woeful condition means that the mercy of God is the very thing that, that is our only hope. And the reason we're in that woeful condition is because that there's nothing good about any one of us. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in God's eyes. Turn to Job chapter 14. Keep your place here and look at Job chapter 14. In Job 14 and ver- excuse me, Job chapter 15, rather, in verse 14, the Bible says, What is man? that he should be clean, and he which is born of a woman, that he should be righteous. Behold, he putteth no trust in his saints, yea, the heavens are not clean in his sight. How much more abominable and filthy is man which drinketh iniquity like water. Here's a very good description of the spiritual condition of mankind. Abominable and filthy in God's eyes compared to His holiness. Look at Job chapter 25. Since we're here in the book of Job, just a few pages over, Job 25 and verse 4. How then can man be justified with God? Or how can he be clean that is born of a woman? Our mortal condition is one of sinfulness. It's not one of righteousness. It's a woeful condition. Proverbs chapter 20. Turn there with me, please. Proverbs chapter 20. And look at verse 9. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. It's a question. Who can say that? Well, the answer is no one can say that. But sadly, most people think about themselves that they're actually pretty good people. Most people think about themselves that there's not really that much that's really bad about me. Most, listen, most under the umbrella of Christianity have this mindset today, that I'm a pretty good person. If you walk out on the street and ask somebody who's not a Christian, you ask them what they think of themselves, they'll say that they're a pretty good person. They can't really see anything that's very bad about them at all. And here's the problem. Because of that, they have no sense of a personal need. I think that many times kids who grew up in Christian homes often struggle with this very thing. No sense of a personal need. Because they don't really see anything that's very bad about them. 
They've had a sheltered life. They've, they've been obedient to their parents. They do good. They know this is wrong and this is right and this is how they're trained and, and they grow up and, 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 they, and they start to think of themselves in a way that is, that is not a biblical way or the way that God sees them. There's no sense of a real personal need. And it's easy to come to those kinds of a conclusion that I'm not such a bad person, especially when you compare yourself with others, like those people who are by that pool, who are less than me. But the Bible states otherwise. Look in Psalm 14. Psalm 14 and verse 1 if you would, please. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Look at verse 3. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good no, not one. This is the Bible's description of the human condition, which is a woeful condition. Look at Psalm 53. I need to keep moving through to keep you awake, some of you. Psalm 53, in verse 3, Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We can read the same kinds of words in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, that, that basically we are useless in our natural human condition compared to God in His holiness. And there's none that doeth good. No, not one. Ecclesiastes 7 and verse 20 says, There's not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. And the reality of it is, friend, that we are beyond help in this woeful condition. And all we can do is come to the Lord asking for mercy. This man was at this pool, this place of mercy, because there was nothing he could do for himself, and he knew it. That's why he was there. That leads me to the second point this morning. If you go back to our text in John chapter 5, we see his woeful condition, but I want you to see, secondly, his humble position. His humble position. Because verse 5 says, And a certain man was there. A certain man was there. Where is there? Well, look at verse 3. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. This certain man was there. Where is there? He was there among the blind. He was there among the halt. He was there among the withered. He was there among the wretched and among the outcasts of society. And what he was doing was waiting. His place was among the helpless and the needy. He took that place because that was the only place that he was going to get help. Now, if he had refused to take that place, if he had refused to be near 
the pool where he could get help, he never would have been healed. If he thought himself to be better than others, if he thought himself to not have such a need, I'm fine. I don't have a problem. He never would have found healing. And the application, friend, is this. Spiritually, people are just like that sometimes. In their pride... Their pride sadly keeps them from the place of healing, the healing hand of the Savior, because they don't see themselves with a problem and they won't take that humble position. And to many, God is still saying today, how long will you refuse to humble yourself? Maybe the Lord is saying that to somebody in this very room. God says, and you know it in your spirit, the Spirit of God is convicting you. You need to be saved, but you won't admit it. You won't humble yourself. You won't take the place of a wretch, which is what you really are, because we all are. It wasn't until the publican in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13, it wasn't until the publican took his place as a sinner that he found hope for his soul and was justified. Remember that? When the, when, the, when the Pharisee and the publican went up into the temple to pray, the Pharisee said, I thank thee that I'm not as other men are. And he listed off all of the things that he thought were good about him. The publican, on the other hand, wouldn't even lift up his eyes. Uh, Instead, he beat upon his chest and he said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What was the difference? This man saw what he really was. He saw him as God saw himself. The other man was looking through his own eyes of how righteous and how good he thought he was. He didn't have a problem. The publican was convinced that the source of his guilt was much deeper than just some words and some actions that were committed that were sin. But see, that's a lot of how people think. You know, because I said something wrong or I did something wrong or I thought something wrong, those were the bad things. No, the publican knew that his source of guilt was much deeper than just those surface things. He knew that it was his heart that was deceitful. He knew that it was his heart that was desperately wicked. And so he stood before God, a man who was self-condemned. God, be merciful to me because I know I'm a sinner. He was overwhelmed with shame to the point that he couldn't even lift up his eyes unto heaven. Let Let me just say that, kids, listen up. Children, listen up. Pay attention to me here. You aren't a sinner because you do some bad things. Like tell lies to your parents, because I know that you lie to your parents. You aren't a sinner because you were mean to your brother or your sister. Or you secretly stole something. You aren't a sinner because you've done some bad things. No, you're a sinner and you do the bad things because of who you are in your heart. Your heart is wicked. 
that's why you do the bad things you do. And what I'm saying is that this publican understood that it was his heart that was desperately wicked, which caused him to fall on the mercy of God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. There might be others, even adults, in this room who haven't come to that place yet where you see that you've got a real problem. You're in a woeful condition. And God is going to judge every sin. And until you take a humble position that I need God's mercy because of who I am, you're never going to get saved. This man, the publican, saw himself not as justified because of all the good that he had done, but as a condemned sinner in need of a Savior, because he could see himself as wretched as he was, as God sees him. Listen, it caused him, when he saw himself that way, it caused him to plead for the only hope that he had, which was the mercy of God. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And here's the application. When a person is thoroughly convinced of their own guilt before God, they don't have any difficulties pleading for the mercy of God and His forgiveness. When a person is thoroughly convinced of what they are on the inside, they understand that they are without hope and they have no difficulties pleading for God's mercy. Someone fights salvation. Someone is fighting the Spirit of God, here's the reason why. It's because they are not convinced yet of their own guilt before God. Because when they are, they know they're condemned. They know they're in trouble. And they go running to the mercy of God. When a person comes to this place, they know that Christ is their only hope. And they turn to the Lord in a humble, humble heart. You might be here today, you might be a teenager, you might be uh, an adult, you're not saved. When are you going to take this humble position? A place where you get it, that you're without hope and you're condemned and you go running to the mercy of God. This man was there among the halt, among the blind, among the wretches. He was there on purpose because he knew that was his only place where he was going to find healing. He didn't mind taking that position. He didn't struggle around saying, I don't have a problem. I'm not like these others. I want you to see verse 6 because verse 6 tells us that when Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? Here I see a merciful offer. And what an offer it was. The man had experienced this kind of life for 38 years, a struggle he had tried and tried to get to the pool many times. And here Jesus comes along and he simply says, Wilt thou be made whole? What an offer. What a merciful offer. 
This poor man was waiting. But frankly, he had no hope because he didn't have anybody that could put him into the pool. And what he needed was a miracle. What he needed was someone to heal him where he was and as he was. That was exactly what Jesus offered to do. Jesus didn't offer to pick him up and put him in the pool. Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? That is the offer that is being made by Jesus Christ today to those who are still dead in their sins. Wilt thou be made whole? To those who have never repented of sin and turned to Christ, he's saying, wilt thou be made whole? Jesus says to come, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. In John chapter 6 and verse 37, turn the page over to John 6 and verse 37. Jesus says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen. The Bible says, the spirit and the bride say, come. Him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Isaiah 1.18, God says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. The Lord is offering forgiveness of sin. He's offering mercy but it's only because of His goodness and His kindness. And what a person needs to do is take that humble position and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. But what most people do is essentially say, no thanks, God. I'm pretty good. I think I got some time. Not now. Maybe another day when I have a more convenient season. People get caught up in their Christian religion as well, in their ceremonies, and all the other things that they think that make them okay with God. And they never take the merciful offer of salvation, which is what they so desperately need. Well, this man... The Bible tells us, if you go back to our text, didn't reject Jesus' merciful offer. In fact, verse 7 says, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. He's indicating his desire. He wants to be made whole. He's, He's tried, but he doesn't have anybody to do it. He wants to be made whole, though. And Jesus says in verse 8, because of His kindness and His mercy, He says, rise, take up thy bed and walk. And verse 9 says, and immediately the man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. This verse, verse 9, demonstrates His faith in the Word of Jesus Christ. Jesus, He'd been in this condition for 38 years. Nothing had ever worked. He's never been able to be healed. And in a moment, Jesus says, take up your bed and walk because he wanted to be healed. And this verse demonstrates that he had faith that it happened. Because when Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk, he didn't sit there and say, well, how do I know that I'm healed? 
He obeyed. And he got up. He believed the word of the Lord. And in this, I see a sudden change. A sudden change. Because he believed the word of the Lord, he acted on the authority of the word of the Lord and and found in this experience that he had received the very thing that he had so longed for. He received the healing, and now his life is totally changed and different. He was healed, not by working, not by striving, not by struggling to get into the pool, but by simply believing the Lord Jesus Christ. And the change that happened to him was both sudden and it was complete. And what a great illustration this is of what takes place in a person's life when they truly repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a definite change that that happens in a person's life. In some cases, it's a radical change. In some cases, those who know the person before they were saved don't understand why are you so different. I remember after I was saved at 19 years old, the friends that I had from high school and the the life that I had built for myself and so on. After I was saved, I would be around some of these people and all of a sudden people would start to say, you're not the same person. Why are you so different? You don't want to go and party anymore, and you don't want to do this anymore with us. What is, what's gotten into you? And it gave me opportunity to tell them what's gotten into me, why I'm so different. The Spirit of God has gotten into me, and my life has changed. They didn't want to be my friends anymore. After that, because we weren't the same. You see the difference between this man and the Pharisees or the religious in this passage. Here's a man that they knew had been in this condition for a long time. And all of a sudden he's up and he's walking and all the thing, all the only thing that they could think of isn't, wow, what a miracle you're healed. The only thing they could think of is you're not following the religious practice. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. Completely missing the fact that this man was healed. And instead of saying, who is it? Who did this to you? I want to know him. All he did was criticize. This man was completely changed. He had freedom. He had joy in his life. And for the sake of time, we skip down to verse 14, where not only was he healed physically, but he was healed spiritually. Jesus said, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. But I want you to notice mostly verse 15. Because that change caused him to want to do something. Verse 15 says, The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. You know what real salvation does? Not only does it cleanse you and change you, but it makes you want to tell other people about what's happened in your life. 
He went and told them, it was Jesus that made me whole. And I think there's a lot of people who say that they're saved. A lot of people who sit in Baptist churches today who say that they're saved. But their life has never changed and they have no desire to tell other people about Jesus Christ. It seems to me that they still need to be made whole. Are you saved this morning? Do you truly know the Lord? Have you repented of your sin and trusted in Christ and experienced a real change in your life? Or are you just religious? Made some profession? Tried to live this Christian life, but unable to do so? And maybe nobody knows on the outside, but you know on the inside you can't. Your life is different when you're away from church. If you haven't been truly saved, then you're yet in your sins. But Jesus is still offering mercy today. He's still saying, Wilt thou be made whole? And if you will humble yourself and admit and recognize what you really are, you can find the same healing in that merciful offer of Christ. Lord, speak into your heart today. Why don't you humbly respond to him? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you take your word, simple message today, but powerful truth, life-changing truth. Lord, I'm so thankful for the mercy of God. I'm so thankful for the mercy of Jesus Christ who had time for me, a wretched sinner who came to my heart's door, who brought conviction to my soul of the kind of person I was in the miserable life that I was living, always trying to find peace, never experiencing it in the things of this world, opening my eyes to my true woeful condition, but then extending to me a merciful offer, saying you can be made whole. I'm so thankful for salvation in Christ today. And Lord, I pray for the one who's not saved, or two, or three, or whoever. Lord, you know their heart. May they take that humble position, recognizing what they are, the condemnation they fall under, may they run to the mercy of God. In Jesus' name, amen.